How's it going, everyone? This is Joe from The Muster Room. Before you dive into this episode, we have a quick update for you. We're proud to announce that we're officially teaming up with Law Enforcement Officers Weekend, a nationally recognized 501c3 nonprofit whose mission hits home with all of us here at The Muster Room. This integration will help us create better content for you while also helping line-of-duty families and injured officers across the country. Just by listening to this episode, you're helping contribute to our ongoing mission to help the members of the law enforcement community. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Muster Room Podcast. I'm Joe Ryder and with me as always are retired detective Eric Potts and police officer Austin Glickman. Together, we have over 50 years of experience as first responders. And in this podcast, we break down the life-altering calls with the officers that live them and discuss the tolls these calls have in the days, weeks, and years afterwards. 9-1-1. Before we begin, I want to advise you that the incidents discussed in this episode are real and traumatic. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, Joe here. Today's episode is going to be a little different than normal. September is Suicide Prevention Month, and Eric wanted to share his story of dealing with suicidal thoughts while working as a police officer in New Jersey. Today's episode is especially timely, given that the NYPD is suffering through the loss of another officer by suicide. Please know that you're not alone. We're going to link to resources in the show notes for this episode. The best thing that we can do to look out for our fellow officers is to know the signs of suicidal intentions. So please, Listen to this episode and make sure to check on your fellow officer, firefighter, or first responder. Also, join us next Monday night at 8 p.m. for our final episode of the season. We will be streaming live on our Facebook page, YouTube page, and Twitter page. We'll be taking your calls live on the stream, and the full episode audio will be in your podcast feeds on Tuesday morning. We'll be back with season two mid-fall. During the break, we'll still be posting mini-episodes and other content we think you'll enjoy. We're already setting up interviews and lining up some great content for you next season. We're thrilled with the reception we've received from each and every one of you so far. And please, if you haven't already, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And without further ado, I'll turn it over to the one and only Eric Potts. Hey everybody, Derek Potts, and welcome to The Muster Room. Uh, today I'm doing it solo without uh, Austin or Joe. Uh, I want to talk to you guys this week um, about suicide prevention. It is September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And in particular for law enforcement officers, emergency service person uh, in general. Uh, my background is that I am a uh, police suicide prevention counselor. I've taken the training and uh, I've been talking about uh, preventing police suicide since I was suicidal back in the mid nineties. Um, and a conversation I had with someone else saved my life. Um, I got the help that I needed. And I, um, I, when I came back, I dedicated myself to educating 
law enforcement in particular, but anybody that would listen to about the dangers of suicide, uh, especially in the uh, rank and file of law enforcement. We have an, a pandemic, that's wrong word, we have an epidemic of police officers killing themselves in this country. On average, every 22 hours, a police officer kills themselves. On average, every 56 hours, a police officer dies in the line of duty through uh, accidents or being shot, killed. And um, it tells you that we're losing more officers through suicide as opposed to um, being killed by other people. And that's a problem. And it's been a problem for a long, long time. I'm glad to see that it's starting to be recognized throughout the country that this is an epidemic and police officers are um, taking their own lives. And again, like I said, I'm glad to see that it's finally taken hold. I had the privilege this week to go to speak to my old department. They're, they were doing uh, two days of training for the, half the police department one day, half the police department the other day. And they asked me to come and speak to them about some of the things that I remember from when I worked there. I've been retired now for nine years. Some of the things I remember when I worked there, some of the things that I talked about, some of the things that they felt that their officers should know. But this was all part of training that came down from the county. So, again, I'm so happy to see that they come up with this program. It's called the Resiliency Resiliency Program. I don't know exactly what it, what it entailed because I wasn't part of the however long it was, 12 hours training that they were doing. I was just my small part, spoke for 45 minutes to an hour to uh, to other police officers about suicide prevention and recognition. So I don't want to prolong this. I want to give you the basic facts, things that you need to know. Um, this by no means is a comprehensive course on this. This by no means will cover everything that you need to know. Um, but it's important that we at least have this in our data bank, in our podcast files, so somebody can go back and listen to this. I'll give you a brief story about me. I went in the Army in 1982, became a military policeman in 1982. I was just turned 18 years old. I did six years in the military police. I got out, became a police officer in a township in New Jersey. And I spent 25 years as a municipal police officer in New Jersey. So I did 31 years in law enforcement and not realizing that some of the things that I was seeing and doing in my career. Now, I'm not New York. I'm not Philadelphia. We weren't we weren't bombarded with things like New York and Philadelphia was, but we were busy. I'm not trying to tell you that we were a sleepy little town. We were busy. We were constantly on the go. Again, we weren't handling homicides left and right. We weren't handling, you know, uh, any number of, of serious, serious crimes, but we were handling, we had our share of murders, we had our share of rapes, we had our share of all sorts of things. What we really had a lot of in the town that I worked in was suicides. Um, just because of the makeup of the town, the age and, and the, the uh, yuppiness at the time of the town, there was a lot of suicides. We dealt with suicides left and right. Now, all manners of suicide. We had uh, the Accela Amtrak train that ran through our town, people stepping out in front of the trains, um, everything. Now, I don't want to get too gruesome, but not realizing at the time that I was carrying a lot of baggage from being uh, from my childhood up until the time I left for the army. And then I started carrying baggage from the from the job, seeing the things that we were seeing, dealing with the things we were dealing and going to the scenes like any police officer does and detaching. Any police officer will go to a scene, detach and, um, you know, 
we make the gallows humor. We make the jokes and that's how we get through it. We have to do something to get through it. And so you do, you make the gallows humor. The problem is, is that when you're finished with that call, oftentimes, whatever we felt, what we truly felt that we hid through our, through our, you know, our jokes, our gallows humor, from our detachment, what we hid, we fail to acknowledge and we keep it hidden. We keep it bottled in. And uh, post-traumatic stress disorder can, can manifest itself from uh, accumulative years of calls, or it can be one incident. It depends on the person. Some of you will go through your entire career and never, never have an issue, never deal with it, never have a problem with it. But some of you, like myself, will internalize all this stuff and bottle it in and let it eat you alive. And it's what it did to me. And it wasn't just the job. There was other things. There was other factors that were weighing down at the time. Um, but I got to tell you, if you're an administrator in a police department, this is something that you seriously need to listen to. The number one complaint, the number one thing that stresses police officers out, believe it or not, it's not the job, it's not family, it's administration. It's, it's, the, it's the perception that the administration doesn't have our backs. Um, that's the number one. I can't change that. I'm not making it up. I'm telling you that's number one. Then comes the job itself, the hours, the family problems, and all that sort of thing. And I was dealing with a lot of this stuff coming down the pipe. And it started man manifesting itself in me through anger at first. Now, I had been contemplating suicide for a while. I had been feeling that way. And I used a lot of my sick time. And my badge number was 506. And the nickname I got was 506. Yeah, that's what cops do. It's funny stuff. But what people fail to realize at the time is when I was taking those days off, I was drinking and I had a gun in my hand. And oftentimes I had that gun in my mouth or against the side of my head. I was crying. I was, I was unable to control my feelings because I couldn't let them out any other way. And um, I spent a lot of time doing that. I didn't pull the trigger because there was some, still some uh, decency left in me where I didn't want my children to find me dead in the house that way. And then I started thinking about their future. Are they going to be able to collect my pension? Are they going to be able to get that? I don't want to go into detail of what I plan to do, but I, I plan to make it look like an accident. And I had that plan in motion. But as I said to you, my issue manifested itself through anger. And it was on a call, a traffic accident. It was semi-serious. It wasn't, it was injuries, no, no, no fatality. But it was in the middle of rush hour on a very busy street at a shopping center, intersection of a shopping center. And it was bad enough where it was backing traffic up. We had safety issues. It was winter. And a car drove into the scene and parked. And a woman got out. And she started screaming because it was her husband that was involved in this accident. I assured her that he was okay, that she needed to get back in her car and move her car. She refused to do that. She kept interrupting. She went over to my sergeant. She was bothering him. Uh, this is, again, mid-90s. And he after a while, he said to her, ma'am, get back in your car. It's your final warning. You know, get back in your car. I'm going to lock you up. And I had had my back. I had heard this, but I had my back turned to him as I was directing traffic from another lane. And she started to interfere with me. And I turned to her and said, that's it, ma'am. You're under arrest. And she ran back to her car, got in her car, and wasn't trying to leave, but refused to get out of her car. But she didn't lock the door. I opened the door. 
and I grabbed her by her arm and I forcefully pulled her out. Was I a little bit rougher than I should have been? Absolutely. Absolutely. When I pulled her out of the car, I didn't do it on purpose, but she struck her head on the door jam as she was getting out. I had no idea that this woman just had brain surgery a couple of weeks before. I don't know how, maybe a couple, three weeks before. All hell broke loose. Um, and I uh, was charged after I arrested her. They made a complaint against me. And um, that complaint was just, you know, brought to a, to a hearing. And before the hearing, the, uh, the sergeant who was at the scene, he was my witness. Before the hearing, the chief of police came in, called that sergeant out of the room. When that sergeant came back, he didn't say anything to us. But during the trial, he changed his story. Now, again, it's the chief going to that sergeant saying, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. We're talking back in the mid-90s. Things are a little different back then than they were now, I guess. I don't know. But it was enough that my lawyer said, listen, this is not what was going to happen. I have to do a, a cancel of this. So you have to a, a postponement. I need more time now because my witness has just changed the story. And so I went downstairs. I was very upset over everything that just had transpired. And I made a comment to myself, but I said it out loud. Maybe I was crying out for help. I don't know, but I said it out loud. And somebody overheard me and brought it to the administration. Administration uh, obviously took my gun from me. and." Um, and uh, forced me to go to the hospital where I saw a psychiatrist. And uh, I remember in being in that room with the psychiatrist and just uncontrollably sobbing because everything was coming out of me at the time. Every thought, everything that I had seen, everything I had experienced from my childhood now through to today uh, through at that time was, was coming out. And I was off of work for quite some time, probably a month. Um, I went through training, uh, uh, counseling. I got on medication for depression. And after that month, I went back to work and I, and I really started to feel good about who I was and what was going on and, and about the job. Again, um, I needed that, um, everything that I had gone through. I, was, uh, I wasn't a, the model police officer. I did my job and I was good at it, but I, I had issues. I had problems. I didn't recognize it. And I don't think anybody did. And everybody who told me, dude, we had no idea that you were suicidal. And that's the thing. You don't know if your friends are suicidal. You don't know what's going on within them. And that's why I tell everybody, just like in the army, you need to have a battle. You need to have somebody that you trust, that you can talk to after a call that you go to, after you go to a, um, a particularly traumatic call where you've detached yourself from it and you've given those uh the gallows humor and you've gotten through it and you know that it's messed you up and i and the, i think the calls that mess up police officers the most are where little children are, are hurt or injured or are or, or, uh, deceased you need to be able to talk to somebody and go you know what that really that really screwed me up what i just saw really messed me up do it talk about it because when you start bottling that stuff up that's when the problems happen when you're having problems at home and you carry that with you at work, that's a problem. That's why you need to have somebody that you trust that you can talk to. And you make that deal with that person. Say, listen, I can tell you anything and I don't need to worry about it going anywhere else. And you can do the same for me. Now, there has to be some caveats in that. There has to be a fact that if you are indicating that you are going to uh, hurt yourself or take your life, that that person has every right to go to the, to the next step to get you the help that you need. 
So that's that goes without saying. That's a that's a given. Um, so that should be an agreement right off the top. But you should be able to talk about your feelings. When I gave these talks these past two days, I welled up with tears. I got emotional, but I told everybody that these are the emotions that I used to bottle up, that I used to hide from, and I don't hide from them anymore. When they come out, they come out. I don't sob, I don't bawl, but I do lose uh, control of my emotions sometimes. And then that comes out and, and getting older. <laughs> so I get weepy. I cry at McDonald's commercials sometimes, for God's sakes. It happens. Uh, the older you get, and I hadn't been back with these guys in nine years. So for me, it was a, it was a, it brought back a lot of memories. If you suspect that your friend or somebody you know, or maybe you don't even know, if you, sus you suspect that they're thinking about harming themselves or ending their lives, you should ask them directly. Are you thinking about harming yourself or ending your life? Now, I know that sounds like, what? Doesn't that put the idea in their head? Absolutely not. Anybody who's contemplating suicide has already thought about it, has the idea in their head anyway. You have suicidal ideation. You've already thought about it. You already have it in your head. However, if they uh, don't have it in their head, you're not going to, that suggestion is not going to put plant that in their head. But what it can do is save a life. Just by asking somebody, are you thinking about harming yourself or ending your life, can start a conversation between that person who has absolutely had no way of telling anybody, at least in their mind, they thought that had no way of telling anybody or no way of actually um, uh, expressing it or, or relieving themselves of that burden. And now you've just opened the door for them. And that can save a life. If you don't feel comfortable asking somebody, are you thinking about harming yourself or killing yourself? Find somebody who can ask that question and have them ask that question. And if it's your battle buddy and you promise not to tell anybody, but you need to know because you, you, you feel that there's all the signs that this person is contemplating suicide, and I'll get into the signs in a few minutes, then you need to go to your supervisor or somebody else who can ask that question, or at least go to somebody who can get the ball rolling in the right direction for that officer who's suffering uh, internally and uh, is, is contemplating, has suicidal ideation. Some of the things that you should look for in somebody who's uh, who's actually uh, has suicidal ideation. Well, number one, and believe it or not, they make mention that they're thinking of harming themselves. You just don't pick up on it. the world would be a better place without. I wonder what everybody would do if I wasn't around. Anymore. I wonder how my wife would feel if I wasn't around. And these are the sorts of things that people will say. Um, they may, some may even say, I should just end it all. I should just kill myself now. That's direct, but there's more subtle ways that they may say, so listen for those signs. If somebody starts giving away valued possessions, somebody who's a baseball card collector, and all of a sudden they come into work one day and start giving away their baseball cards or whatever, that's a sign that somebody may be planning for the future. If somebody is abusing their sick time, which I was, that's a sign. That's an issue. We need to be aware of that, not only, not only as a battle buddy, but as also as the administration. And you need to address it, um, not through punishment, not through punishment, but by trying to understand what the individual is going through. Uh, somebody who's abusing drugs and alcohol, self-medicating, and that becomes obvious. Somebody who, who 
you never suspect it. And then also one day they may come to work and you smell alcohol in their breath. There's an issue. Alcoholism, certainly, but there also could be an issue of suicidal ideation. So we need to be aware and watch. Be aware and watch. Somebody who um, uh, is, is manifest anger, man, and, and it did for me as well. Anger is being manifested. Somebody's just getting abnormally angry over things that you wouldn't suspect them to get angry over. And I remember blowing, and I don't remember exactly what it was for, but it was such a trivial, minor thing the administration wanted us to do. And I just went ballistic. I started yelling and screaming. It was, it was irrational for me to, to uh, carry on that way. But at the time, that's what I was feeling. And so it's, it needs to be clear that there are, there are certainly more signs. And, um, and, and at themusterroom.com, I will have uh, much more of this, this training and much more of the, uh, uh, the things that you, you need to look out for there. I don't want to take up too much time of this on this uh, podcast uh, talking about this. And again, I apologize for the quality, but the information is just as important. And uh, the quality, if you're watching it on video, may not be the best. We need to be aware of the issues that, that we're all going through. We need to look at each other, love each other, and understand each other as far as uh, you know, law enforcement goes. We go through a lot, and it's been hell, especially for the past six or seven years. I was lucky enough to get out before all this blew up. But don't think that, that what you're going through now wasn't happening years ago. It was. It was. Um, just maybe not to the extent. And it wasn't as widespread, widely known because there was not the advent of, of video cameras everywhere and everybody scrutinized everything we did. And you know as well as I do that every time you see a video, you know, 9.99 times out of 10, everything the officer did was righteous, but the video was edited or started and shown at the wrong time. We know this. There are certainly officers who have done things wrong, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say they haven't. But we've all know who and what I'm talking about. We've seen the videos. But we need to be on top of each other and recognize each other. If you see somebody who's getting out of hand on a call, help them out. Somebody who's losing their cool on a call because they are going through the issues that I just talked about, help them out. Help them get out of that situation. So they can calm down and you can address it later. You don't want to make it overt. You don't want to make it uh, look like you're, you're, uh, you're subverting the individual, but you want to get them help. Call the suicide hotline. Every police department in this country should have, number one, posted on their, their bulletin boards or the, the union bulletin boards, the number to the suicide, the suicide hotline, the cop-to-cop hotline, the police suicide prevention hotline, whatever's in your area, and there should be connection to the confidential uh, counseling um, that is provided through local hospitals or through your police department itself. Usually most, I would hope that most or all police officers, police uh, departments have that in place. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of that. It's anonymous and you will get the help you need. I used it. You will get the help. You will get counselors. You will get doctors. You will get people who understand exactly what it is that you're going through and can help you through these incidents. They don't go tell your administration what's happening with you. It's confidential. It truly is. And if you get on medications, you're taking uh, antidepressants, that's not a bad thing. 
Um, you don't need to stay on them forever. They don't make you high. They don't do any of that. What they do is they level out your serotonin and they help you think clearly. They, they level you off. It is, uh, is a good thing. And you don't stay on them forever. You, you, you come off. I haven't been on them in years. Um, so these are the things you need to be aware of. If you are contemplating harming yourself or killing yourself, please hold on for one more second. And every time that second goes by, just hold on for another second and find somebody to talk to. It's important that you find somebody to talk to because talking can lead to help. And I can tell you that talking led to help for me. And I am certainly glad that I didn't kill myself because what a wonderful life I would have missed. What a wonderful thing. I would never see my kids grow up. I would never have gotten involved in radio. I would have never gotten involved in comedy. I would have never met all the great people I've met. And I would never be involved in this podcast, which I pray is helping police officers all over this country. I pray every day that you guys in law enforcement stay safe and you get home to your families. Don't let suicide be the end of you. You can change it. You can be you can be everything you want to be. And it's so cliche, but it is so true. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem because I didn't see any way out of that tunnel. I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel at all. But I got help. I found the light. And I'm here today to talk to you. Please get the help you need. Call somebody. Don't harm yourself. Hold on for that one more second and talk to somebody. Thank you, everybody. Stay safe. Get home to your families. God bless America. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It goes a long way to getting us discovered by more listeners just like you. This show was hosted by Eric Potts and Austin Glickman. This show was produced and edited by Joe Ryder. Be sure to follow us on social media at The Muster Room. And until next time, have a great day, everyone. And most importantly, stay safe.